So uh, this series is um, two weeks in. We've been meeting on uh, Sunday nights talking about some things. So first night we talked about art, and the second night we talked about technology, and we're just discovering what does the Bible say about these things that we interact with or that we uh, do every day, but we might not necessarily think that the Bible has a lot to say about it. And so today... Well, we're talking about time, and this evening we're talking about work. And so I'd encourage you uh, to come out tonight because most of what we do with our time is work for the majority of us who aren't retired. And so um, tonight also plays a big part into what we're talking about this morning. So the big idea I want everyone to remember when we're done this morning is that we won't have a correct view of time unless we view our lives through the gospel. Um, as I was uh, looking at this, I, I kind of picked out these subjects beforehand, and then each week I come to the subject and um, see uh, where, what the Bible has to say about it and kind of discover things for myself, which I've really enjoyed, and that's been fun. Um, and as I studied this, the more and more I saw it, the more I realized we, we won't have, it's impossible to have a correct view how God wants us to look at time unless we are looking at it in light of the gospel. And I hope that Psalm 90, which, yes, was written um, about 1,500 years before Christ came, um, helps us to see time in light of the gospel. So Psalm 90, if we want to turn there, um, is a really fascinating psalm. This is actually written by Moses, and we know that because it says right in the title, The Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. And um, this is written at a very specific time in Moses' life, uh, not an easy time. So uh, this is found in Numbers 14, and we don't have the time, and I hate to say that, but we don't have the time to read the whole thing. Um, but I know that many of us are familiar with the story of the nation of Israel. And so what's just happened is that they've just been led out of Egypt, which was a whole process, and um, they've been taken through the desert. And they've been rescued as they've crossed on the dry land in the Red Sea. The Egyptians have been swallowed up by the Red Sea and their armies are destroyed. They have gone to Mount Sinai. They have seen, they have eaten in the presence of God. Um, They've still, though, rebelled against God. And they've been complaining the entire way there. And then at Mount Sinai, they've they've given the law. And they now know how they ought to live with God. And then they are led all the way into Canaan, the promised land. And um, they send some spies in for 40 days. And the spies come back and they say, there are these giants who live here. And there's absolutely no way that we could possibly um, conquer these people. Except, of course, for Caleb and Joshua. And these are the same people, right, who have just seen the Red Sea part and dry land appear and then walk across. They've seen ten incredible plagues that have destroyed the gods of Egypt and people's minds. They've seen the presence of God going before them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They've seen God on the Mount of Sinai. They've seen all these things, and yet they're saying, we can't possibly overcome these giants who live in this land. And so we definitely see that Israel has not trusted God. There's this big lack of of trust, a big lack of faith, belief in God. And so God has judged them and has said, okay, for 40 years you will wander in the wilderness, and this generation, which has seen all these amazing things, are going to die in the wilderness, and they will never get to taste the promised land. But their children instead will be the ones to enter in. 
So we see Israel has been sent into the wilderness, and uh, this is very painful. I mean, this would be like expecting the, the greatest thing, this huge redemption, and then being told at the very last minute, just as you're about to get it, that you can't because of your sin. And Moses intercedes because originally God's idea was that he was just going to destroy the nation of Israel. This is the second time he's, he said this because this happened also at Sinai when they made the golden calf and they worshiped it. And he was going to restart the nation through Moses. And Moses intercedes on their behalf. And this is what we have here in Psalm 90. So this is, uh, we're coming to this with a lot of context. Um, and this is kind of broken up into three sections. So the first section is verses 1 through 6. And the big idea in this section is that God is eternal and man is temporal or temporary. We are short-lived and God is forever. And we're going to see this huge contrast. So if we start reading um, verses 1 through 6, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the, found, the, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and the evening it fades and withers. So we see um, in verses 1 and 2 that God is the creator, right? Because you have um, been, you've built the mountains and brought them forth from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. God has created this whole world that we live in. So we, we see that God is not only forever, but God is the creator. And God is eternal. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And he dwells with his people. And it's so interesting that, that these Israelites have gotten to see this in such a, a real visual way because they've seen God as this cloud, as this pillar of fire dwelling on Mount Sinai. They have seen more than many of us uh, will ever experience in this lifetime the, the presence of God. And so we might think, well, if anyone would be able to believe it would be these people, right? Because they've seen all of these things. But as we can obviously tell, that's not the case. It's, that, that can't be the, the origin of what's happening. Um, there's something wrong with their hearts. And we have experienced God. We shouldn't shortchange ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That's something these people didn't get to experience. And so that's huge, and that makes a, a big difference. And so we have experienced, have um, seen the presence of God as well. So I think we can definitely relate to what the children of Israel are experiencing here. So we see that God dwells with his people. And then we see that God has made man. So verses 3 and 4, you return man to the dust and you say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your, uh, for a thousand years in your ciders, but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night, which is three hours as a watch in the night. So we see here that God has made man from the dust. We read that in Genesis 1. We were in that our very first time that we were in this series together. God has made man, but then he returns man to the dust. And that means that because of our sin, God is returning us to the dust. We die. We don't live forever like God had created us to. But not only does he return man to the dust, so he judges 
man's sin, but he rescues man. It doesn't leave it there, right? Because he says, return, O children of man. God is calling us to return to him. So yes, he's made us, and yes, we have sinned, and we have to return to the dust, but there is hope. Even, even this early on, we see this hope. And we see again that God is eternal, and we are temporal. We are so short. God's view of time is so different than ours. And so we need to understand how God views time, but we also need to understand our part in that time, that it is very, very short. Uh, the next part of this uh, first section of verses is 5 and 6, and here we reminded that time is so swift. Now, I'm only 23, um, but I already feel like so much time has just whizzed by, and I know that as I talk to people who are a lot older than me, they feel the same way, and probably even more, that time has just flown by, and it is so short. So it says, you sweep them away, talking about man, you sweep them away as a flood. They are like a dream. They're like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. Now this idea of, uh, that we, we read in verse um, 5, you sweep them away as with a flood, would have been really important in this context, right? Because the children of Israel have just seen a really good picture of this as they've walked through the Red Sea, and then those waters have come in and just completely devoured the armies of Egypt. So if anyone gets this picture, it's, it's these people. And, and we've experienced floods recently on the news. We've been able to see them. Um, things just get swept away. There's no stopping it. And that's this picture. Um, Matthew Henry's commentary was really helpful for me. And so I'd like to just read um, the section that he says about this particular phrase. He said, Thou carriest them away as with a flood. That is, they are continually gliding down the stream of time into the ocean of eternity. The flood is continually flowing, and they are carried away with it. As soon as we are born, we begin to die. And every day of our life carries us so much nearer death. Or we are carried away violently and irresistibly, as with a flood of waters, as with an inundation, which sweeps away all before it. Or as the old world was carried away with Noah's flood. Though God has not promised to drown the world yet again, Yet death is a constant deluge. And so we see this idea that we are just being swept away. So time is swift. And also, we don't, we don't pay attention to time is swift. It's like, a, it's like a dream. You know, we just forget that it's, it's happening. We forget that time has gone by so fast. It seems not even real sometimes. And our lives are very, very short. And so God is reminding us of these things. And now we're about to enter into the next section where Moses has been talking to God, interceding on Israel's behalf, and he is reminded that God is the creator, and yes, we are just made out of dust, and yet God is still rescuing us, God still loves us, and this time that the Israelites have been sentenced to, 40 years, is, is going to feel really short in the great span of time, but sometimes when we're in it, it feels a lot longer. And now we're going to see what Moses is going to say now that he started about the sin that Israel has committed. And we're going to see that sin results in a hard life. And these people are going to experience a hard life. I mean, I can't even imagine for 40 years just eating manna and quail. Um, and I'm not a huge, I don't know, I've never had quail, but I feel like I probably wouldn't like it because I don't like too many exotic foods. Um, and so these people are going to experience a very difficult 40 years 
And this is a direct result of their sin. But Moses is going to go even further and say that uh, all of the difficulties that we experience in life are a result of sin. And we need to have that perspective because it can be easy to blame it on other things like, oh, it's just inconvenient or that's just the way the world is. But any hardship that we face in life is a direct result of sin. It might not be a result of a particular sin that we've made. I mean, we see uh, in the New Testament several examples of people being healed and everyone's accusing them of, oh, you must have sinned and that's why you're suffering in this way. We see that with Job. That's not necessarily always the case. Sometimes it is. But the fact that we experience sin, the fact that we experience hardship in this world is because of the fall. And we can't lose that perspective. And so Moses is going to do a really good job of reminding us of this. Matthew Henry also says, We are too apt to look upon death as no more than a debt owing to nature. Whereas it is not so. If the nature of man had continued in its primitive purity and rectitude, there would have been no such debt owing to it. So if we had continued in our perfect state in the Garden of Eden before the fall, we wouldn't have to die. So death is obviously not a debt that we owe to nature. It's not natural for us to die, but that's how we like to think about it in our culture. We like to think, oh, well, we die, and that's just our you know, debt that we owe to nature. Not so. It is a debt to the justice of God, a debt to the law. Sin entered into the world, and death by sin, Romans five twelve. We owe our debt to the justice of God. We die because God is just and he cannot, he cannot allow sin to continue. And so sin results in a hard life. If you look at verses 7 through 8, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Grumbling, which is the sin that's you know, present here, and mistrust and disbelief are, are sometimes very secret sins. You know, sometimes, oftentimes, we express uh, grumbling verbally, but sometimes it's just in our heart. Sometimes we just grumble on the inside and we don't let other people hear it or know about it, but we're uh, complaining and um, ungrateful. And this is, this is the sin that has been laid out in plain sight before God, these people's grumbling and complaining. And I think that's a sin that we can all relate to. And the sin of, of mistrust. You know, is there a time in your life where you have a, a desperate need and you just aren't sure that God will provide? Or there's something that God has said that in his word that is really hard to believe and it might not be easy to take. And we don't know how trustworthy this word is. That's, that's a sin that we mistrust God. And that's the sin that these people have been sentenced to 40 years of wandering the wilderness for. So it's not a light thing. So we all have sins. And we see here, God, God hates sin, for we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. And God ought to be angry at sin because it's, it's the antithesis of himself. It's the thing that is opposite to him. And if God wasn't angry at sin, we would live in a pretty awful world because there are friends of ours, there are relatives, close ones who have been sinned against, and we feel that anger at that sin. And so God has every right to be angry at sin. It's good that God would be angry at sin. Because if he wasn't, he wouldn't be a just God. And we want justice. We talk about that a lot in this world, that we want justice. So death comes through sin. We are brought to an end by your anger. We die 
Not because of a debt we owe to nature, but a debt we owe to God's justice. And God's purity is what reveals this sin. So our secret sins in the light of your presence. Just as Christ entered the world as the light of God, the light came into the darkness, the darkness uh, could not overcome it. We read that in John 1. Christ is this light, and what light does is it shows the darkness. It exposes our sin. And so we can't just ignore it. It's there, and we have to do something about it. So in this case, God is choosing to punish this sin by sending Israel into the wilderness. So we have all sinned. God hates sin. Death is a result of sin. God's purity reveals sin. And our life is hard because of sin. Verses 9 through 11. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or if by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone. We fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So we see here that life is hard because of sin. This is not an easy life. If, you know, it's just 70 short years, if by strength, you know, if we're really going to struggle through, maybe 80. I had a lot of great-grandparents who somehow lived into their 90s and hundreds, um, but that's very uncommon, you know. And so if we think about this, though, Moses has been alive for a good long while and is going to have 40 more years in the wilderness, and his generation lived to around 120 years, which was uh, a limit that God put on man um, close after the, the flood. And so God is still shortening man's lifespan. And so this is going to be even shorter because we know that um, if we read in Numbers 14, the people who are being sentenced into the wilderness, um, the youngest of them would have been about my age in their 20s. And so they're going to spend 40 years, and those people are not going to enter into the promised land. And so we see that there's a, a shortening of this, of this lifespan that God is placing on people. So we, uh, life is hard because of sin, and we don't understand God's wrath. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? We, we don't really um, understand or pay attention to God's wrath. It's not something that we think about very much. But it's, it's very, very real. And it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Because God, as we've seen, ought to be angry at sin. We want him to be a just God. But we don't understand wrath because God is forbearing. He is not allowing it to be poured out in full upon us. So we can't even comprehend it. But the one person who absolutely understands God's wrath is Christ. Christ has taken all of God's wrath so I hope that we're, we're starting to see this, uh, the gospel, even in this Psalm 90. So, so far we've seen that God is eternal. We are short. God has made us. We are condemned in our sin. And yet God calls us to be rescued. And now here Moses has laid out the sins of Israel before God and says, you know, we, we deserve this. We deserve 40 years in the wilderness. And now we're going to move into how we should respond to this. And so the big idea I want us to get from this last uh, third of, of this psalm is that God is merciful. Verses 12 through 17. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 
Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and let your glorious power and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So God is merciful. And we see here in this first section of these verses that um, verses 12 and 13, so teach us to number our days. So this is one response we have to have. Is we have to ask that God would teach us to think about time correctly, to understand that our days are short and make each one of them count and that we would have a heart of wisdom, that we would be wise in how we approach our time. Return, O Lord, have pity on your servants. So we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to recognize that our life is short, and yes, that's a result of sin. And yet we can ask for forgiveness. We can ask for God's mercy, that he would return. And now we see that God's love satisfies. And if, if these people are about to embark on these 40 hard years, this is something really important that I think they should be praying every day, and I think we should be praying every day. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. God's love satisfies. And these people are about to go through a time where they will have very little, and it will be very hard, and there are times in our lives where we will have very little, and it will be very hard. And the thing that satisfies us is the love of God. And God is our joy. Any other means of joy, God is stripped away from these people. He is their only source for their joy, for their life, for their enjoyment. And I think we need to have that attitude too because it's really easy for us to fill our lives with things that create lesser joy. We were surrounded with things. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. We were surrounded with things that we think will create joy for us, that will satisfy us, but they won't. God is our source for satisfaction and joy. And he will make up for the hardships. So we read here, Make us glad for as, many as, uh, for as many days as you've afflicted us and for as many years as we've seen evil. So the, the nation of Israel is asking that for all those years we lived in slavery, for all of this time we're going to spend in the wilderness, make us, us glad for those days. So not only allow us to rejoice in those days and to be satisfied in you in those days, they're asking that in their future, God would make up for those days and make happy times and joyous times for them. And that can be found sometimes, sometimes here on life, in, in this world, but it's ultimately found in glory, in eternity. That for as many days as we've suffered and have been afflicted here, as many hardships, God will make up for those days in eternity. And lastly, we see in these verses... Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So we need to ask God for discipline. And that's what he's doing with this nation of Israel is they have sinned and he is bringing a consequence into their life. And, and this is a very macro view because these people who um, are going to spend that 40 years and die in the wilderness, 
they won't really get to receive the benefit of this discipline, except maybe in their hearts. But as the nation of Israel, God is using this time to discipline the whole nation and throughout its generations, that this is a time they can look back on and see that God is serious about the sins of grumbling and complaining and lack of belief. And those are the same sins that has caused uh, in their future nations to come in and invade and for them to lose that land again because they turned to other gods and because they uh, were not satisfied with what God has given them. And so this is uh, a serious disciplining of the nation of Israel and its whole existence. And so we can even look back to this. And that's um, another point is we need to accept his discipline. This isn't asking God to not give them the discipline. Moses is asking that he not destroy the nation of Israel at this time, but he's not asking that they not be sent into the wilderness for 40 years. There's an acceptance of the discipline that this is good for me. This is right that God would do this to me. And then this is an example, right, for their children. So um, let your work be shown to your servants. So discipline us through this, but also let our children see this and your glorious power to their children. So we can see that our lives should be an example um, when God disciplines us. And so when they're saying, let the, the favor of the Lord be upon us, you know, God will restore to us. We can hope in that, um, that he will establish the work of our hands. He will do what he wants to with us. And that's what we see in these people's history. So to kind of put this all in perspective, how do we see the gospel in this psalm? Because unless, again, unless we see the gospel and view time through it, we won't have the correct understanding of time. So I, I feel really uh, sad, aggrieved for the people who don't have the gospel and who try to figure out what to do with their time and how they should use time. And we are filled, the world is filled with time management books. Um, they're everywhere. Um, but unless we understand the gospel, we won't really have the right understanding of time. So God is eternal. Man is temporal. We are very short in comparison to God. And this sin results in a hard life. So these short years we have are hard. And we're probably... Um, the, the people on this planet least likely to experience the full effect of that. And we talked about that again in Sunday school this morning because as Americans we are rich and we have so many blessings and so many things that other people just do not have. Um, but if we go nearly anywhere else in the world, we will see that people are having a very hard life. And this is a result of sin. And it's, it's not necessarily... Uh, direct result of something that that person's done wrong. So we can't have the mentality that, oh, they deserve this because they've done this wrong thing, so we shouldn't help them at all. That's not the right attitude. But we do understand that this is sin, and so we can use those things to, to help people understand that we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that has sin, and we need a solution to that. And yet God is merciful. God is showing these people mercy. He's not destroying them outright. He's disciplining them. That's, that's something a loving father does. And so um, he is disciplining them. So what does this have to do with our view of time? Well, God's understanding of time is far greater than ours. He is eternal again. We are short. God's understanding of time is, is so much higher than ours. And yet he has told us some ways that we should 
think about time. So first of all, we think our lives are short, so we need to do something with it. We need to make the most of it. And our lives are full of sin's effects. And our joy is abiding in God. That is where we find our satisfaction and our joy is in the love of God. And so God even uses time to discipline. I mean, 40 years isn't something to, to laugh at. That's, that's a long time. And God is using that time to discipline his people. And so there will be seasons of our life where God is disciplining us, where God is using that time um, for our good, and it might feel hard in the moment. So God uses time as a tool to sanctify us, to glorify us. Um, we also see some principles, and we're not going to spend a ton of time in these passages because next Sunday we're actually going to return to them because they have a lot to say about speech, and that's what we're going to be looking at next week. Um, but if you want to flip over to James 4, um, the New Testament reinforces a lot of these ideas. So in James 4, verses 13 through 16, we read, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. So we can't pretend we know the future. We don't know what the rest of time looks like. God does. And so we need to, again, have faith and trust in him that what he has prepared for us, he will give us the strength to do. And so if we make plans, which we all do, it's uh, you know, something we just always are making plans, it seems, we need to know that we are, uh, don't necessarily determine those things. And we need to trust God and say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And we can't pretend God isn't sovereign. God is the one who is making these things happen. And if we want to do something and it's not his will that we would do that, he will stop it. He will uh, not let us do those things. And so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So we have this time and God gives us clear direction in his word, what we ought to do with it. And that's different for each of us in a lot of ways. As we read God's word faithfully, as we pray and understand what he has us to do, we need to make sure that we are faithful to do that because to him who knows what to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. Another passage that we can look at is Ephesians 5. And again, we're going to return to this in much more detail next week. Ephesians 5, 15 and 17. Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. So here we see again, you know, the days are evil. We're affected by sin, so we need to make the best use of this time we have. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the, Lord, the will of the Lord is. So we need to look in God's word and understand what is it that God wants us to do. That's where that answer is. What is the will of God? Well, he's given us a whole book about it. He, he's clearly told us what he wants us to do. And so we need to be in the word. So we need to make the best use of our time because it is short and the days are evil. And we need to focus on God. Something really easy to do after thinking about time like this is to get a little paranoid or a little OCD about every minute of our day and, and focus so much on that that we totally miss the point. And the point is that our satisfaction and our joy 
and our uh, understanding of what God wants for us is found in focusing on him and rejoicing in him and seeing what he's done through the gospel in our lives. So how do we view time in light of the gospel? When we understand God's magnitude, we see that he is so much greater than we are. We understand our fallen state, that we are uh, here for a brief time and that it's a hard time and that there's lots of obstacles and temptations along the way because sin is all around us. And we accept God's forgiveness because we can't do our life correctly unless we are living in God's forgiveness and unless we are confessing to him and understanding um, what his will is. And we accept God's discipline. So just because we're forgiven doesn't mean that we won't still struggle with sins and we won't still have lessons that we need to learn. And so we need to not be uh, complaining and grumbling when God does use time and circumstances to discipline us. We need to accept that and be glad that he loves us enough to take, to take care of us in that way. And we need to focus our lives on Christ. It's because he has received that wrath of God that, I mean, yes, life is hard, but it's not nearly as hard as it could be if God hadn't, is not forbearing his wrath against us. We can focus our lives on Christ because he has given us the forgiveness to be able to live life as God wants us to. And we make the most of our days, not for ourselves, but that God's kingdom would grow and that more people would hear the message of the gospel. Um, so I hope that that was a helpful uh, talk for you and a time for us to think about how we should view time because we obviously all use it. Um, and I would encourage you tonight to come out and learn more about what God wants us to do as we work. I'll close in prayer and then we have one final song. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift that you've given us of time and that, yes, it is brief, but you have given us all that we need to do what you want us to do with it. And so allow us to make time for you and for uh, the sharing of your gospel and the reading of your word. And as a church, we've dedicated ourselves to these things. We have said that we will call people. We are all about hearing your word and praying and help us to uh, do those things faithfully and diligently. Realize that our time isn't our own because we were bought with a price. And our time is just a gift that you've given us to steward for your glory and your kingdom. And help us to do that faithfully. And give us the, the joyful hearts and not the complaining hearts so that when you do discipline us, we accept that and we are eager to grow and allow us to rejoice in you and be satisfied in you. Thank you for these gifts that you have given us. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.